<laughs> Guys, how we doing? Good? Uh, if you're sleepy, please raise your hand. Oh, you sleepy bears. If you're wide awake, please raise your hand. Thank you, Mr. Ben. Oh, the room is split. All right, well, in honor of all of those of us who are sleepy, remember, we, we have a top secret trick that rescues us from sleepiness. Everyone, take your, take your hands, put your fingers like this, put them on your eyeballs, and say, I'm awake. All right. <laughs> Looks like we're all on the same page. <sighs> well, my friends, tonight is the last night we're going to spend in the book of Daniel. I know, I know. And in honor of how deeply sad this moment is, I, this won't be enjoyable, it just makes it more sad, but I would like to play to commemorate our sadness, the saddest song that has ever been played on the flute in the history of mankind. So you, listen, you're allowed to sob, you're allowed to tear up and cry during this, it's just, it's a nostalgic, sad moment, okay? I might get so sad that I squeak, I can't, I can't promise a flawless performance, all right? Oh. What's that? Uh, an encore? I mean, I do, oh yeah. I do have one more up my sleeve. Woo, here we go. This one, I'll tell you why in a minute. But this one's in honor of last night, okay? I got lost the last note. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, listen up. Actually, <laughs> that, that last little ditty brings me into the next thing we need to talk about. Guys, that song was, what was the name of that song? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. And, and this is a weird way to transition into something serious. But in terms of grace, holy cow, you guys, so many of you uh, made decisions to commit your lives to Jesus for the first time last night, exchanging the guilt and shame of your sin for his grace and forgiveness. Holy cow. I don't know. It's just really cool and exciting to know that God is moving in your life individually. That prayer that we have been praying each time, I, I hope you catch that God did that last night for so many of you. And it wasn't just those of you who, who prayed to accept Jesus for the first time, which by the way, you guys, my, our two sons are in wagon train this week. First time they've ever been in camp, uh, and I'm going to tear up. My wife and I just got the little card where my eight-year-old also made a decision last night to commit his life to Jesus. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And some of you are here, and, and you stayed back, and you had amazing, maybe heavy or difficult, but really good conversations last night, too, because you realized that though a Christian, you have been taking for granted the price paid to give you the gift of forgiveness, the, the deep sacrifice that Jesus made in order to love you, 
You made a decision to repent. I'm going to turn from my life to sin. I don't want to live the way King Nebuchadnezzar did and acknowledge God and fill my life with sin. Acknowledge God and try to be my own king. I fully surrender. He is my king. And so the question that we have to answer tonight before we can send you back home is in light of everything we've talked about, in light of everything that God has done for us, whether it was a necessary reminder or something brand new for you, what do we do now? What do we take with us down the hill? And obviously, in order to answer that question, we're going to have to go back to the book of Daniel one last time, spend some time with Daniel the legend, and we're going to get the answer from him. So Daniel chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 3. When you Actually, we're going to start in verse 4. When you get there, obviously, can you just give me a little yay, yay? Are you guys really already there? I hope you're not lying on the last day of camp, okay? All right, now let me remind you, we, we are reading a prayer of Daniel. He feels very heavily what he's saying. He's, he's lamenting, which means his heart feels grief over the content that he's talking about. We catch him, he's, he's writing this prayer around the same time we caught him last night. King Darius, or the beast, his king, right? He's an old man in his 80s. This is at the end of his life, and it's, it's kind of a snapshot of something that perfectly encaptures the way that he's lived his whole life. In verse 4, he says this, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. I underlined that part in my Bible. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. In verse 7 it says, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. Men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers, are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. I underline that part too. Even though we have rebelled against him. And then I just want to read you one last verse in his prayer. This is verse 18. If you want to skip down. He says, give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We don't make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. Guys, there, there are two things that I see in Daniel's prayer here and also in his entire life, and that is one, hum, it's humility. It's that he's fully aware that his sin prevents him from having pride or thinking he's the most awesome, and it's not just him. He laments that everyone that he's with, this whole nation, they have disobeyed God. They all carry sin. There's no reason for pride. We, we should be humbled by our imperfections, by our depravity, by our sin, and he knows something else is true that he needs God's mercy. That's what we talked, we started talking about Wednesday, we finished that conversation last night, that God in his mercy chose to forgive us. God is a good God that he gives us mercy, that he's dependent on God. If each night we've established something that is a characteristic of a resilient Christian, maybe you've been writing these down, um, I'm gonna say them one last time. Guys, if I'm honest, I hate the idea of review, like, oh, you're going to tell us stuff we already know. But this is so important. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't important. Okay, you got to trust me. This review is important. Is it important? Yes. yes. 
Okay, so I'm going to tell you each, each characteristic of a resilient Christian, in case you want to write them down, that we've established each night, and then I'm going to give you this one that we see from Daniel in his prayer and in his life. If you're ready, say, Hoo. all right, here we go. Sunday, we established that a resilient Christian knows our hope is in heaven, not this broken world. A resilient Christian knows that our hope is in heaven, not in this broken world. Monday night, we established that a resilient Christian fears God, not man, right? I'm not worried about peer pressure or impressing other people or becoming the most popular. These people are a bunch of messed up sinners stuck in their own insecurity just like me, just like the name of our band. I work to impress an audience of one, right? A resilient Christian knows that we fear God, not man. Tuesday, we established that a resilient Christian expects, is not surprised by, expects trials and hardships and trusts God through them. A resilient Christian expects trials and hardships and trusts God through them. We also said the resilient, I know, see, this is starting to feel reviewy. We're not in science class, but this is, this is way more important than the biology of frogs. Would you agree? Yes. Okay, all right, then I will continue. <clears throat> A resilient Christian understands the bigness and severity of our sin. A resilient Christian understands the bigness and severity of our sin. We don't pretend like our sin is no big deal, that we can handle on our own, right? All that stuff we talked about. And then this is what we established last night. It was a big deal for many of you. A resilient Christian cherishes God's love and forgiveness that he proved on the cross. A resilient Christian cherishes God's love and forgiveness that he proved on the cross. And here, here's what we bring that, this whole thing home with. The last thing that we would add, like if you humbly pray to God every day, God, make these true in me. I want to be a resilient Christian in a godless culture that's hostile to Christians. If you asked him to develop and cultivate these things in you, odds are you might be able to live a life that glorifies God the way Daniel did. Here's this last one. A resilient Christian lives life humbly dependent on God. I think that is, is the most concise way that I know to sum up the, not just this last prayer, but the life that Daniel lived. Like, think about this. As a legend, I'm going to give you a pop quiz right now, okay? I, and I know I said this wasn't going to feel schooly, <laughs> but I tricked you. Okay, think about this. When Daniel said he's not going to eat the king's food that was like probably sacrificed to idols, and he's like, this looks like it's going to make me disobey God. I don't want to do that. Instead, let me just eat veggies and water. And then we were told somehow supernaturally that made him and his buddies like 10 times more impressive, competent, smart than everybody else. Did he supernaturally become 10 times more impressive, smart, and competent on his own? No. no. You, can, you need to yell with a little more conviction. Did he? Yeah. All right. Well, then let's continue with the pop quiz. You got the first one right, by the way. Did, when he interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's first dream, remember the dream of that statue where the head was gold and the shoulders were silver and the torso was bronze? Did he interpret that dream all by himself? No. And remember, he didn't just interpret it. He had to figure out what the dream was without being told. He did not do that by himself. You, you might be catching a theme of all the answers here. Did he interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's tree dream by himself? Don't you get ahead of me. Okay, did he interpret King Belshazzar's dream? No, what, I, see, that was a trick question. It wasn't a dream, you guys. The hand that wrote on the wall, did he interpret that by himself? No. Did he survive the lion's den by himself? 
No, you know what would have been incredibly obvious, clear the entire way, every step of Daniel's life, not just at the end. Anything significant that he did that was glorifying to God, that was a light to the world, that was amazing in his difficult adventure life, anything that was of substance and that mattered, all of it was out of humble dependence. He was fully aware. All of that came from God. All I did was in humility go, I'm dependent on you, God. Would you show up? And yet the outcome of living a life like that made him a legend. Like, think about this. This guy from his teens to his 80s did amazing stuff. God used him to do amazing stuff. God used him to save countless people. God used him to put his power on display to an entire nation. God used Daniel to soften the heart of a wicked king and probably bring King Nebuchadnezzar into a saving faith in God. That is it's crazy. And so for you and I, we go, maybe the result of Wednesday and last night, Maybe we arrive at a point where we're like, I cannot believe God loves me that much. I want to go home, and I want to respond just like Daniel was a legend for God. I want to be a legend for God. Let's do this. Woo! But it's, it's a weird thing, you guys, because if you just go home like that, you're going to fall on your face. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall right into sin right away. You're going to get super discouraged. You're going you're gonna to start doing drugs. You're going to become homeless. You're going to live under a bridge. I was just making sure you're paying attention. Not, not the other stuff, but you get what I'm saying, right? What's interesting is that just like God, hear this, this is very important. Just like God sent Daniel into a godless culture, hostile to people who follow God. God now, from camp, Friday night, sends all of us the same way into a godless culture hostile to Christians. He sends us with a purpose and with a job, just like he sent Daniel. And you're like, wait, 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 what? You're saying God's sending me home with a job and you're not excited about it? My answer would be, I mean, kinda. Like, like Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could just go home and eat Cheetos to the glory of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if we're honest with our subconscious, sometimes the way that we treat camp or the things we know about God, it's like, God, thank you so much for saving me. Now I will play Xbox, and it's like, you're my sponsor. God, I'm playing Xbox for you. You know, I'm like, no, that's, he, the, the whole point is not that he, he paid the ultimate price to forgive us, and then we just sit around and go, well, I'm just a kid. I can't do anything. We don't just sit around and go, well, you know what? God will probably get glory out of me when I'm big and strong and powerful and have an oppressive job as an adult. You know what, if, if God wants to use me to do awesome stuff, to be a legend for his kingdom just like Daniel, well, that'll probably happen like in heaven when I don't have sin anymore and I, I don't know, I'm like an awesome spiritual being up there. So for now, I just eat Cheetos to the glory of God. No! That's not the way that it's supposed to be. Everybody's saying no! no. Okay, good. But, but listen, it's a, it's a conundrum because it's not that simple. It's, it's not, hey, all right, God loves me. I'm going to go home and work hard at my job for the glory of God. That's not it, because remember, most of the things we said about you and me on Wednesday are still true. God has forgiven your sin, and by his work on the cross, we are no longer separated from him. We've been restored in relationship with him, but are we still going to continue to mess up on, in this life? 
yeah, we will still sin. Our sin will still taint our motivations, our attitudes, our behaviors, everything that we do. And so if you go home still as a sinner and you're like, I'm going to be a legend for God, you're going to screw it up. In other words, it's an impossible task. And some of you right now might be feeling duped. Wait, wait, wait. So Jesus died on the cross for me, and then he gives me a job that I can't do? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Kind of. But realize that's exactly what he did with Daniel, right? Daniel didn't survive the lion's den on his own. Daniel didn't cause the mouth of those lions to be shut. That wasn't any, he was humbly dependent. The way that he lived in light of the mercy and the guidance that God gave him was all humble dependence. And if, if this is super confusing to you, I know. But Jesus himself would clarify it. And I want to show you this. This is uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. I'm going to read a few verses. You don't have to turn there. Just put your thinking caps on and decide in your head. I will understand what this verse says, okay? John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who's the counselor? The Holy Spirit. Guys, do you realize that while we have the same calling, the same mission in a godless world as Daniel, Daniel would have been so jealous of what we get. We could look back on Daniel and be like, oh my gosh, he just, he prayed and God showed up and caused the mouths of lions to be shut. He prayed and God showed, revealed dreams to him that he could never know. That's miraculous. That's crazy. But do you realize what Daniel would have thought was crazy? The fact that you and I don't just have access to God often. But according to the Bible, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us where we can access God every moment of every day. Daniel would have been like, what? That's, that's the crazy, that's the miracle, that's the incredible. We're called to the same thing, but we may have an advantage over Daniel. So our role as Christians today in light of what Jesus did is to be humbly dependent on his spirit. And I love this because it kind of changes the context that we understand the crucifixion in last night. Last night, for so many of you, that was such a, a sobering, somber, deeply sad moment. And it was. It was excruciating for Jesus. But realize, everything that he accomplished on our behalf on the cross, Jesus willingly went to the cross because he understood, through this, I accomplished the forgiveness of your sins. Through this, I allow you to be restored relationally to God. Through this... Now being restored to God, you can have a hope in heaven that you're going to get to be with God forever. Not only be with God forever, but you're going to be refined. Your sin nature will be refined out of you. And in heaven, as we, as we read multiple times this week in Revelation 21, no more tears, no more sin, no more, like, he accomplished so much on our behalf. But that verse, John 16, 7, told us something that he was excited about for us. It is better that I go, he said, so I can leave behind the Holy Spirit. Jesus was excited for you and I to live this life humbly dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's crazy to me. Like, like he's literally saying it's better for us to live the way that we do now in relationship with the Holy Spirit than if we could have walked with Jesus. Do you realize that? Like if you and I walked with Jesus, we'd be like, oh my goodness, his arm just brushed up against me. This is insane. But then you know what happened? A crowd would come. There would be a line you would have to wait in that line to talk to Jesus. Jesus would get sleepy at 1030 at night. He'd go to bed. You wouldn't be able to talk to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, But through the Holy Spirit, the gift that he died to give us, we have access to God all the time. And as a result, not on our own strength, we can be humbly dependent 
and live out all that he has called us to do. This is, this is the way that Jesus describes it. This is uh, John chapter 15. Have you ever heard the analogy that Jesus gives of the vine and the branches? If you have, please say, mm-hmm. Oh, well, maybe you never pictured it. And even if you have, it's really important because it's Jesus' words, okay? Here's what it says in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Stop. Can you picture a grapevine? A grapevine is this like gnarled, thick trunk thing, right? It's got the roots. What do the roots do? The roots suck up all the nutrients from the ground, all the minerals, all the vitamins. They're pushing us through the stock. That's what the vine does, right? And the branch, what does the branch do? It just hangs there. And it grows a leaf, and it grows fruit. But here's what's fascinating. It, in this, Jesus describes it better than I could. He says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what I've been saying. If you heard what Jesus did on the cross last night, how lavishly he loves you, and you go home and go, I'm going to try hard for Jesus. You can't. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. The picture Jesus is painting is for you to go, oh my gosh, pumped at camp. I want to live life as a good Christian on my own strength. You run home and you're like, I am going to be sinless and perfect. That's the equivalent of a branch hopping off of a grapevine, wee, and then being surprised when it's withering. Help me. You can't do it, right? You have to be humbly dependent. You have to, in, the, in chapter 15 of John, Jesus will say 11 times, remain, 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 remain. You know what he's not saying? Perform, perform, perform. perform. When you remain in Jesus, when you're the, vine, the branch that stays attached to the vine, you know what he does? He sucks up all the minerals and vitamins from the ground through his roots. He pushes them through his stock. He pumps them to you. And then because of him, because you remained close, he causes fruit to grow on you. He does all the doing, just like he did in the saving. He did everything necessary for you to be forgiven of your sins. It's a crazy concept, but in Philippians 2.13, the Bible says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That means he's the one who gives you the awareness of what to do. He's the one who gives you the motivation to do it. And he's the one who gives you the opportunity to do it. So for you to get pumped on what we talked about this week, like, Jesus forgave me, that's amazing. I'm going to go try hard. That is the opposite of the call and the job that Jesus gives you. Do you understand? If you understand, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. All right. So we have the same call and mission as Daniel but we kind of have an advantage, which is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is excited. Daniel probably would have been jealous. Listen, listen to what the Bible describes in what the Holy Spirit does in us and for us. This is Galatians 5.22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, probably heard this verse, but I wonder if like me in junior high, you, you heard this verse as like, these are all things I'm supposed to do. These are all things I'm supposed to accomplish and perform. I mean, that's, this, that's not it. These are... When you remain as the vine on the branch, these are the things that when you remain, you stay as close as you can to Jesus. You stay humbly dependent. These are the things he produces in you. He does the doing. He makes these pop out of you in a way that is a, a blessing to other people that's growing you. That's oh, I could, I'm getting preached. I could talk about it forever. Here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of you on sin night and last night, you were devastated because you haven't had self-control. Because you have been overwhelmed with sin. And you don't need to go home and try harder to have self-control. You need to go home and remain so that the Holy Spirit produces in you. As you remain humbly dependent, he produces in you self-control. You remain as close as you can to Jesus so that the Holy Spirit will produce his fruit in you for God's glory, for your blessing, and to be a light to the people around you just like Daniel was back then. Does this make sense? Oh, no, I scared you because I'm talking all loud, huh? Sorry. I'm sorry about that. I think it does make sense. But, guys, this is why. Ooh, I'm about to say this, this list and your brain is going to shut off. What I have just said is why you read the Bible, you are transparent in your small group, you actually talk about life and you don't just fart around and be distracting and whatever. This is why you pay attention when the Bible is taught by your youth pastor. It's not because those are the church rules. It's not because that's what good Christians do. It's because that is how you be humbly dependent. Guys, the Holy Spirit in you wants to use the words you come across in the Bible to be prompted, to stir you up, to convict you, to encourage you, to give you exactly what you need. Okay, when, you, when you go to youth group, you're not just having a conversation with someone else in your small group because they have the Holy Spirit in them. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Maybe he wants to do something that's like the things that they're saying or that they're going through or the aha they had when they read the Bible. Maybe that's the exact same thing that God wanted to illuminate for you. And through the Holy Spirit you share in common, he wanted to prompt and lead and guide you, right? We do these things not because they're the rules, but because they're opportunities to be prompted by God's Holy Spirit. They're opportunities to live in humble dependence. So a resilient Christian, yes, prioritizes reading the Bible prioritizes over sports or yeah I'm too tired or whatever they still prioritize youth group not because we're following the religious rules but because there maybe God has something to prompt me with in the Holy Spirit and I cannot afford to miss an opportunity to interact with the Holy Spirit I will take advantage of every opportunity because I will remain humbly dependent but still we may have a problem <laughs> I've told you kind of how all this works but if we're honest, listen, there are some of you here who are like, I get it. He gives me a job, and he equips me to do it. But still, a job? I don't, we just did wreck all week. I don't want to go home to a job. Are you serious? Job is the wrong word, okay? I don't, I don't know how to help you understand that this isn't an obligation for Jesus. It isn't, there's nothing left for you to do right? He did all the saving. If you accepted Jesus and you've surrendered your life to him, you're going to heaven. There's no job you have to do in order to be saved. Maybe the better way to say it would be to say this. Now we get the opportunity <laughs> to live a life of response that says, I'm thankful and I just want to love you back. And maybe that feels like a stretch to you. Let me, let me, <laughs> I'm excited to show you this. Let me put it this way. I have a picture of me and a friend spearfishing, Okay. There we are. We didn't know how to go spearfishing. We didn't know how. There was this old guy, his name was Captain Ron, and he had this huge platinum white mustache that made him look like a walrus. And he would drink milk, his wife hated this, he would drink milk from the carton, like, and it would get on his mustache, and because the milk was white and his mustache was white, it would stay on there, and then it would start to rot in his mustache, and we'd be like, oh, Captain Ron, your mustache is rotting. Anyway, he was a legend. 
Okay, he is a legend. And one day he comes up to me, and he's and me and my buddy, this is Mac, and he's like, "Hey, do you guys want to go spearfishing?" And we're like, "Whoa! Are you kidding me? Captain Ron, the legend, wants to take us spearfishing? Ron, what's spearfishing?" And he's like, oh, let me tell you, spirit, okay, we, we lived in this town that had this river, you put on all this stuff, right, you got your, your wetsuit on, your flippers and goggles, and you hop in the river and you just float, and the current takes you where you go. And then you see a fish, and you wind up your Hawaiian sling, and you release it, and it explodes a fish in the face. Now listen, some of you are in here, and you're like, those poor blessed fishies, no, no, no. This, the fit, we only hunted sucker fish. They're, not only are they ugly, but they're an invasive species. They would eat all the salmon eggs out of the salmon spawning grounds. Fishing game was like, have at it. You could kill infinity sucker fish. So we were just public servants, okay? But the first time that we went, I hop in the truck with Captain Ron. We're driving to the river, and I start realizing I'm actually terrified of this idea. Like, I've seen this river before. When it rains and the water's super high, there's trees that get knocked over it, and they have like straggly witch hand looking branches that are just gonna get in there and scratch me and catch me and drown me, right? There's huge boulders where the river's going over, and it's like, I'm just gonna get sucked in there and tumble underwater forever and drown. There's there's fish in there that are like this big and they got sharp teeth. And so, in in as masculine a way as I can, I'm like, Ron, I have some concerns. I don't know that uh, I was scared of the river. But I also told Ron, I was like, Ron, I don't have any gear. I don't have flippers or snorkel or goggles or a wetsuit or a spear. I don't have anything. And you know what he said? He said, I have all the gear for you from, <laughs> from when I was a young, small man. I know every inch of this river. You don't have to be afraid. Actually, what you're going to do, young TJ, <laughs> you're just going to hold on to my flipper. And I'm going to go wherever I go, and you'll be fine. You don't have to know how to navigate the river. You don't have to have the gear. You don't have to be brave. Just hold on to my flipper. So we get in. We walk backwards. We get in the water, and we do just that. He hops in. I grab his flipper, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I could see the different ecosystems. It was crazy seeing in the deep water. This is where the big, fat stripers live, and they're scary. In the shallow, fast-moving water, this is where the brook trout are. The sucker fish are everywhere, which is awesome because those are the ones we're after. And I just watched as Captain Ron, with perfect skill, is like, and he would, like, alert me when a fish was coming, in the bubbles, you know, and he would get one, and I'd be like, and then after a while, he would let me try. And this is what the sound that was make. I would go, shing, ping because it would bounce off the rocks on the bottom. Every single time I shot, it was this, ping, 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 because I kept missing. But you know what? Captain Ron wasn't frustrated. He wasn't mad. He was just super excited to be doing his favorite thing with me. He didn't have a quota. He didn't have performance that he needed from me. Why did Captain Ron invite me spearfishing? It wasn't because I was qualified. It wasn't because he had a job. It's a terrible, boring obligation he wanted me to do. Do you get where I'm going with this? It was because Captain Ron's favorite thing in the entire world was exploding fish. And the only thing that he enjoyed more than just exploding fish was exploding fish with me. Captain Ron invited me to do his favorite thing. Guys, This is what God does with us. We don't have some dry job. We're not just going into the world like, do your job for Jesus. No. God has a favorite thing. 
And it's not exploding fish faces. It's saving people. It's bringing people from death to life, from shame and sin to forgiveness and freedom and renewed innocence. That is his favorite thing. And he did it for some of you last night. And now he invites us with excitement, join me, do my favorite thing. You don't have to be brave. You don't have to know everything. You have to actively participate and just say, okay, I'm going to hold on to your flipper. And just like in saving, just like in life, he does all the doing. We just, in humble dependence, say, okay, I'm in. And it's amazing what he can do. I want to read you another verse. Um, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. Oh, I should tell you, by the way, also, my wife wrote my verses again, huh? Oh, look at that. All right, now keep it down. i got to read the Bible. Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. It says, oh, I love every piece of this. This is, this is the best verse, I think, in relation to every piece of the book of Daniel, our theme, our points, not just tonight, but the whole week. Listen to this. If you hear nothing else, listen to this verse intently. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Daniel was going to die, Daniel was going to die, Daniel was going to die, Daniel was going to die. In his weakness, God's power was made perfect. It's the same offer for us. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, listen to this, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The best image I have for you of this that I think is so depicting of the way that God views and uses us is this random cup. Look at this random cup and say, ooh. This is an ancient Japanese art form. It's called kintsugi. Weird word, which is why I like saying it so much. And basically what they would do is they would take broken pottery bowls, cups, and because they're broken, they have no value, they have no purpose, they can't do anything. They are literally garbage, right? But in the artist's hands, what the artist would do is take a precious metal like gold and melt it down. And then in each of these cracks, the artist would take that molten gold and use it as an adhesive to put it back together. And then what was once the weakest part of the dish the thing that caused it to have no value and be trash becomes the most beautiful part of it and the strongest part of it. This becomes art that, like you could look up Kintsugi art. These things sell for like thousands of dollars. We bring weakness, humility, dependence, and he brings all the power. He does all the doing. When you go home, Go home with humble dependence. The last thing I'll say is this. If this hasn't made sense, or maybe it's, it's too abstract and hippity-dippity, hopefully this makes it practical for you, okay? There's a student uh, in our youth group. She's since graduated, but when she was a freshman, her name's Leah. When she was a freshman, she was all in on youth group. She'd come every week. She was crazy. She would do the, like, mystery munch, gross thing, blender of death you got to eat. She would beat all the other kids. She was, uh, she was a legend, okay, just like Daniel. And she had this friend who was not a Christian, didn't know anything about, had never been a youth group, church, any, her parents weren't believers, anything like that. And all of a sudden, after listening to a message at youth group, God, God put this girl, Justice, on Leah's heart. And Leah was like, ah, I, 
think maybe I'm supposed to invite her to church, but this, this is scary. I don't know what to do. And you know what she did? I've actually tricked you. She, she did the thing that you and I have been doing every single week because I think this, I'm sorry, every single night because it's a part of humble dependence. You know that prayer that we've been praying? God, if there's something you have for me, something you want me to see or understand, I'm open to it, I'm ready, and I'm willing, that's humble dependence. If maybe the, the Holy Spirit prompts something in your heart, when you read, when you hear a sermon, when you think of a friend, God, if you want me to do something or understand something or pay attention to something, I'm ready, I'm listening, would you do it? And as she did that, she felt prompted, I think I was supposed to bring Justice to youth group. So super nervously, she walks up to Justice and she's like, hey, <laughs> I don't know if this is weird, but my youth group is doing an all-nighter in a week, and I just, I, I think you would love it, it's a good group, like, we've got sweet friends, you should come. If you don't want to come, that's, that's not weird at all, I just wanted to invite you. And Justice, to Leah's surprise, goes, absolutely, I would, I would love to go, that sounds awesome. She comes to the all-nighter and she doesn't come to anything for a month. And then she comes to a random youth group night, and there's a couple kids she knows from school, and so now she starts coming to youth group every week. And after she's come to youth group every week, she's like, hey, I could see this fitting in the rhythm of my life. Okay. She actually signs up for winter camp, and at winter camp, they preach the gospel, and she accepts Jesus for the very first time. She becomes a Christian because of Leah. And then that summer, we end up doing baptisms, and Justice is like, I want to get baptized, and I want Leah to baptize me. And so Leah stood there, as a freshman, 15 years, 14 and a half, I don't know, and with excitement in her face, she just said, guys, this is justice. She accepted Jesus. I'm her friend. I'm so proud of her. I'm so excited that I get to baptize her in the name of Jesus today. And she just baptized her. And it was the coolest thing in the world. That's what we're talking about. She was living in humble dependence. She was listening to the Holy Spirit. She was ready and willing, even if it was a little bit scary. And God used her as a legend to change the eternity of a friend. Isn't, isn't that this? That's what God did from Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar. The stuff he was doing in Daniel's life started when he was a teenager. This, this is you. I'll, I'll give you another one just because it's, it's stinking awesome. Because it's not just kid to kid, okay? We have another uh, student in our youth group. His name's Landon. He's now an upperclassman in high school. And he actually is like part of the, the babysitter crew that when, when my wife and I are at small group, they babysit our little boys and our little boys bite them and it's awesome. But anyway, when he was an underclassman, he got super excited about youth group and he just started coming faithfully every week. His parents are not Christians. His dad had been arrested that year, um, some alcoholic stuff. Their, their marriage was really difficult, but Landon was bulletproof. Every single week he's showing up, he's praying for his parents. His, his life at home is hard. He's sad at home, but he's faithful and taking advantage of every opportunity to interact with the Holy Spirit at, life group, at youth group. And he's praying for his parents. And one day he feels prompted. He goes to his parents and he's like, Mom, Dad, I would love it if you came to church with me. And he was scared. And they were like, ah, we don't know. Five times he asked them. And on that fifth time, they had hit a tension point in their marriage where they're like, ugh. Maybe we just go. And they came. And I, I met them in the plaza, and I was like, whoa, you guys are new. How are you doing? I might have scared them of being like, oh, I'm TJ. Oh, how are you doing? The dad was not having it. Remember, I told you I'm from this hillbilly place. He's got his cowboy boots on. He's got dip in his lip, and he's like, oh, brother. You know what I mean? And they came, and then he came like six weeks later, and then they came like a different six weeks later, and they ended up coming five months later. At a point where a big church, the adult pastor was preaching the gospel. And I saw the little card with Landon's dad's name on it, 
Landon's dad accepted Jesus. Why did that happen? Because just like Daniel, Landon was humbly dependent. He trusted, G- he trusted God, and God used him as a legend to change the lives of the people in the world around him. In a godless culture where it's hard to be a Christian, what a privilege it is that we don't just go back into this world with a job. Instead of being people drowning in our shame and sin, destined for hell, we go back into this world with the light that everyone else needs. We go back into this world with a hope that everyone else would love to have, but they don't understand yet. We go back into this world, not just motivated, but fully equipped by God. And all we have to do is go with humble dependence. And he will use us like Daniel to change the world. But guys, here's the thing. Most of us in this room will go home and be a statistic. Statistics say the average kid spends seven hours on screens a day. And you will not go back to living a life that matters. You will go back to filling yourself with all the toxic stuff that the world wants to put in you. And you won't offset it with reading the word or doing any of those things. And month after month will happen. You'll attend youth group every once in a while. And you'll be back in the place of King Nebuchadnezzar. You'll be acknowledging God and filling your life with sin, living as your own king. And 11 and a half months from now, you know what you're going to need? You're going to need another Hume Lake to help you unload all the sin that you just loaded up again. God, guys, that was never God's design. Some of you, though, will have taken the things that we read in the Bible to heart this week. And starting tonight, you will resolve yourself as Daniel did, not to defile yourself. You will live in humble dependence moment by moment. And when you sin, because you will, you won't let it fester and grow and override you and overpower. You will immediately flip it to obedience, keeping yourself from going into the depths of that shame and sin. And you'll hover above the waters of guilt and you will remain a light. And you will be a blessing to the people around you. God will strengthen you in your ability to resist sin. Your relationships will grow substantially. And if you can do that faithfully the way Daniel did year after year after year, guys, God will continue to use you. And you will be the next generation of counselors and youth pastors and Hume staff. He gives you everything you need to live a life that matters for his glory and your blessing. You just have to choose. Will I be a resilient Christian who lives humbly dependent or not? Let me pray with you. Guys, we lo- God, we love you. We thank you for this week. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. God, that you died for us while we were still sinners will never cease to be amazing. Would you help us live lives that simply remain in you? God, would you keep us humbly dependent, connected to the source? Get glory as we just try to live out of an extension of everything that you give us. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen.